Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. So do you believe the United States is still the freest country in the world? In spite of our problems, is this nation still on the right track overall? Or are you concerned by the erosion of civil liberties in recent years? Is this something we can correct by voting better, or could the situation be far more serious? Well, our guest today, Paul Craig Roberts, is a former Reagan administration official a syndicated columnist, and a political commentator with keen insights into our current political situation. He believes the problem in the U.S. is dire and that we are slipping rapidly into tyranny while very few seem to even notice. Thank you for joining us on Living Wealthy Radio, Mr. Roberts. I'm pleased to be with you. So lately you have written about the end of the U.S. as we know it. What defines us as a nation, and in what sense are we coming to an end? Well, the United States is the Constitution. The Constitution defines the relationship between the people and the government and makes the people supreme. That is the meaning of accountable law. And since we have lost the Constitution, we have lost the nation. The people are no longer supreme because the government is no longer accountable either to law or to the Constitution. We see this everywhere in the torture programs. Torture is strictly illegal under United States statutory law. It's illegal under international law to which the United States is a signatory. We see, for example, that Hillary Clinton is obviously guilty of security violations that lesser people are prosecuted and imprisoned for, and yet there's no case. Uh, we could go on in this mode. Um, we, we see it in the growing uh, elevation of the executive branch above both Congress and the judiciary. We see this in the ability of the executive branch to go to war on its own volition, and so on and so on. So those are very specific examples, and I totally agree with you, but there seems to be a double-seek, right? Um, our our elected officials, our president, our Congress, they're constantly throwing around that word constitution and also throwing around that word democracy. Well, there isn't any democracy, there's an oligarchy. And um, the political people, Congress, whoever is elected as president, uh, whoever is appointed heads of the regulatory agencies, they represent the oligarchs who give the campaign contributions. We see even the Supreme Court has given the blessing to that in that case a few years back when they ruled that it's okay if corporations purchase the government, that that's freedom of speech to purchase the government. So in that sense, you see, it's reinforces the fact that the people are essentially powerless. They're subjects. They're not citizens. We can see it in the uh, erosion of the amendments and the Bill of Rights. Uh, none of them exist any longer. Habeas corpus, which prevents government from acting like a medieval feudal lord and picking up someone and throwing them in the dungeon for the rest of their life without any evidence, any uh, evidence before a judge, without a court, without conviction. This was announced by the George W. Bush administration as the new American policy. 
So habeas corpus, which is probably the most important defense of liberty, has been thrown away. Uh, we, we have seen with Obama not only the um, support of this development, but he added to it. He said, well, actually, uh, I'm going further. I can now deprive American citizens of their lives without due process of law. I can assassinate them on the basis of suspicion that they may be involved in, with terrorism. So we see that that part of the Bill of Rights is gone. Due process is gone. There's no due process any longer. Uh, we see that um, the prohibition against self-incrimination is gone. That's what torture is used for, to force people to incriminate themselves. There's essentially none of the constitutional principles left. Uh, people will say, well, what about the Second Amendment? Well, it's true that we still have uh, the right to bear arms, but the arms are defined in a very restrictive sense. It, when, when this amendment was put into the Constitution, there was essentially no difference between private arms and military arms. But today, the differences are vast, and the citizens are not permitted anything comparable to military arms. So, in effect, they don't have Second Amendment rights, and they're no longer uh, a match for the police forces or the armed forces uh, should tyranny be forced upon the people. So there's nothing left of the Bill of Rights, and there's hardly anything left of the Constitution itself. As I said, the separation of powers is violated. Uh, the president now declares war, not the Congress. You can go on down the line. It's very, very difficult to find anything that remains of the Constitution. In fact, we're in the process now, um, you know, the famous First Amendment, freedom of speech, where dissent is being criminalized. A couple of years back, the Department of Homeland Security announced that it was shifting its attention from terrorists to domestic extremists. And shortly thereafter, a bunch of anti-war activists were arrested by the FBI, their computers seized, their homes invaded, so that protest is now becoming an example of domestic extremism that justifies the application of police power. So wherever you look, uh, it's not any good picture present. So how did this happen? How did all three branches of our government, in fact, you know, of course there's the media, right, which is supposed to be the, the fourth branch of government, um, so to speak. Um, how, how did this happen all at once? Well, it didn't exactly happen all at once, though it did come upon us very suddenly in the 21st century. It sort of got completed suddenly. Let's start first with the media. You see, what happened to the media was in the last years of the Clinton administration, the last part of the 20th century, uh, Clinton uh, permitted five mega companies to purchase 90% of what had been an independent media. So 90% of the media went into six hands. Now, this, of course, was totally against antitrust laws, totally against American tradition. And yet it happened. And the consequence is that the media is no longer run by journalists. It's run by former government officials and by former corporate advertising executives. And so the media is no longer accountable to the truth. It's accountable to the government's line. It's accountable to the corporate line, to corporate interest. And you no longer see any dissent from the media on anything important. If you think back 
to the Vietnam War for a long time. Uh, everybody went along, well, most everybody went along with the war, including the media. But over time, it became clear that we had been sold a bill of goods, and the media became outspoken, and the New York Times published the Pentagon Papers. Well, today, the New York Times um, demands the head of people who uh, leaked the Pentagon Papers. You know, they're totally opposed to Julian Assange, to Snowden. Uh, they always come down on the side of the government when the government prosecutes whistleblowers. So you see the loss of any independence in the media. So there's no public voice or forum other than the Internet for putting pressure on the government. Now, the other part of the story, and there are two other, well, there are many parts, but I'm going to hit two other important parts. Uh, one is that over the years, as my colleague Larry Stratton and I uh, showed in our book, The Tyranny of Good Intentions, which I think was first published in 2000, over the years, uh, various interest groups chasing after their favorite devils, you know, the mafia, um, drugs, uh, child abusers, uh, any sort of cause that people could say, oh, this is very important, we have to combat crime, we have to combat the drug lords, we can't have people uh, abusing children. They use these causes to erode the protective functions in the law, because by eroding those protective functions, it was easier to get their targets. It's easier to get the mafia if you strip away the ability to protect themselves in court, which is what, was, what happened. Uh, the same thing, it's easier to get child abusers if you can frame them up. It's, uh, it's, and look at the war on drugs. I mean, the, the jails are full of users, not drug lords. They're full, they're full of mothers whose children are now in uh, custody. Uh, so these type of things made the erosion of the protective features of the Constitution acceptable to people because it meant, oh, well, now we can catch the criminals, the drug users, and the child abusers, and so on. So that it became practice not to protest the erosion of the protective principles. And then finally, if we come to the 21st century, we have 9-11. And 9-11 was used by the neoconservatives in order to justify wars of aggression, wars of aggression which are war crimes under international law, and to justify a domestic police state in order to protect the people. In other words, it's a contradiction of the Founding Fathers. Now you're safe by giving up your liberties. And so that's how it happened. That's how it came about. So do you believe that the agenda was in place prior to the crisis, or was this in reaction to the crisis? Well, which crisis? Well, let's say 9-11, um, for example, right? So where a lot of our liberties were lost in the uh, name of protecting our people, right, from the terrorists. Well, yes, I see what you mean. Well, of course, as I said, the ground was already prepared because of chasing the mafia and drugs and child abusers and whoever the target happened to be. So the erosion of things were already in place and had become acceptable in name of a just cause. So when 9-11 happened, it seems quite evident that the police state was already pre-prepared because what they call the Patriot Act, a vast work, very thick, huge numbers of words, this could not possibly have been written between the time of 9-11 and when it was introduced. It had to be sitting on the shelf. 
I used to be in the congressional staff, and I know about these things. And so, yes, I think a good deal of it was in place, because if you look, the initial response is to give the government power over the people by negating the protective features in law and in the Constitution. So that was the initial response to 9-11. So I think, yes, there was already, it was already there. Now, the, the 9-11, you can say, depending on who you believe did it, that either the purpose of it or the use of it was to justify the neoconservative doctrine of American hegemony. They started in the Middle East because they could associate the perpetrators of 9-11 with the Middle East. So in that sense, um, the event, whether it was a, uh, an internal event brought on by people with an agenda or whether it happened as the government claims, it's it doesn't matter from the standpoint of how it was used. So what we see there is a government that does not respect the Constitution and does not respect the law. And this is true of both Bush and Obama. And in fact, it's actually true of Clinton. You have to remember that Clinton began this illegal war business with the attacks on Yugoslavia and Serbia. Mm -hmm. And of course, we always had some kind of excuse, none of which have ever held up. None of the excuses for any of these wars has ever have ever proven to be um, true. So it's clear that there's an agenda operating that those running the government don't think the American people would go along with it if they declared it openly. So they orchestrate it. They say, oh, this happened, so we have to do this. And, oh, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Oh, Iran has nukes. Assad had chemical weapons. Uh, and so on and so on. And so it's this type of propaganda that they use in order to push an agenda that if they told the people what the real purpose was, they'd say, to hell with you, we're not going along with that. <laughs> Just like the British Parliament told Obama when he wanted to invade Syria. You know, he, the United States uh, concocted this evidence that Syria had used chemical weapons, and this was the red line that Obama had drawn. And and so we were going to attack them, and uh, Cameron said, yes, yes, of course, we'll cover for you, and we know you can't do it by yourself. You'll look like a war criminal, so you'll have another coalition of the willing to cover up your crimes. And the British Parliament said, no, absolutely not, and voted it down, and that stopped it. And then the Russians stepped in and said, look, we'll solve it diplomatically, and they did. So... This type of situation shows that the United States government itself does not respect law or the Constitution. So how can you say you're a democracy? Hmm. So I, one of my favorite sayings is, I don't know the truth, but I know that what they tell me is not the truth. And I may never know what really happened and what the background information is, but I will keep studying and reading and researching and learning so that I can have uh, a better perspective than the garbage that they're feeding me, right? Yeah. Uh, and I know many people out there, including our listening audience, members of our listening audience might say, you know, that sounds great, but how did all of this get orchestrated at the same time. Like, how did the Office of the President and Congress and the Supreme Court justices all decide to follow this agenda at the same time? Well, it's, uh, it happened over time. Uh, you know, as I pointed out, uh, first it was the war on the mafia that started eroding parts of the Constitution. And then it was the drug, the drug war. 
and then the child abuse war. Yes, but and didn't they so have to you, sing from the get, same you, note? Yeah, you get people in the frame of mind that the government needs more power. And this frame of mind goes in the universities, it's taught in the courses, it goes into the law schools, it affects the mentality of judges. Mm. And you had, and you ha still have, in the United States, there's an organization called the Federalist Society. Uh, when they asked me to join, I didn't. They were um, Republican lawyers. And their argument it was, is, in fact, it still is, that the president is actually higher than Congress and the judiciary, and that mm -hmm. the, the balance of powers in the Constitution has traditionally been uh, misconstrued, that the president was meant to have more power and not to be always accountable to Congress or the, the judiciary. And the reason the Republicans made this argument was that for a long time it was the belief that the Republicans had a lock on the presidency, but the Democrats had a lock on Congress. Mm. And therefore, the Republicans couldn't get their programs through, even if they won the White House, because the Democrats would block it in Congress. And so the Republicans created this argument in order to let the president do things despite opposition from Congress and the judiciary. That's where this came from. It's, the, it's the, been the historic function of the, of the Federalist Society. And they've written books about it. Terry Eastland uh, wrote one, and, this, and they have a term which doesn't come to mind right now, but the term is that the president has sort of special problems powers. And these special powers are, are uh, above being constrained by Congress or the, the judiciary. So if you've got now a Republican Supreme Court, probably most of those members were members of the Federal Society. If not, they certainly know the members, they know the arguments, and they're affected by it. And it's probably also true of the Republican members of Congress, that, that they have this idea that, well, the president really is not the not our co-equal. He's a little bit higher. So that's part of it, too, if you, if you see what I mean. Now, how did it all come together? It came together in this sort of final way with 9-11 because, oh, look, we've been attacked. We've been attacked. What a dastardly thing. Look, they blew up these buildings. They attacked the Pentagon. Um, and so this just let them do whatever they wanted because there was no opposition. We had to have revenge. We had to kill them over there before they came over here. You, you remember all the slogans. Oh, huh? absolutely. Absolutely. So and in 30 days, the Patriot it. Act was enacted as law. How convenient. Uh, Right. There was really no way of stopping it. Now, if the media had done its job and it raised questions about 9-11 and it raised questions about why, how are we safer when we give up our liberties? I mean, the terrorists, they can bomb us, but they can't destroy the Constitution. So why is the government destroying the Constitution? That's worse than being bombed. But they didn't because by then they were no longer independent. It, you know, if six companies own 90% of the media, I mean, we're talking about thousands of what were formerly independent newspapers and newspaper chains and independent TV stations and radio stations. If all of this is now under the thumb of six corporations, what, are the, what is the value of those corporations? The value of the corporations is the federal broadcast licenses. Mm. and their corporate advertising revenues. And so they're under the control of Washington and the corporate advertisers. Mm. Because if they offend the corporations, that goes to advertising. If they offend the government, that goes to broadcast license. So now you can say, oh, that was always true, blah, blah. But you see, if it's an independent media, 
and the government goes after one paper, all the rest of them are going to come to its defense. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But when they're just huge conglomerates, there's already no independence. And then when you add the two points I made about the corporate advertisers and the broadcast licenses, there can't possibly be any independence. And so the reporters by now know they can't report stories because the editors will ask them, what are you trying to do, get us both fired? So if you look at the stories, it's always whatever the official line is, unless it's something minor or relatively unimportant. But on the big issues that are driving American domestic and foreign policy, the media simply is a parrot for the government. And therefore, the people really don't get um, any sense of what the facts are or what, or what the evidence is. And elections, of course, are, are useless to change uh, or have been to now because the uh, Congress and the White House are ruled by the private interest groups that fund the political campaigns. People get elected, they get elected because large sums of money come to them from Wall Street, the megabanks, the military security complex, the Israel lobby, agribusiness, the extractive industries. This is the power that elects the government, and so the government's answerable to that power, not to the people who vote. Plus, uh, this process of selecting candidates is so controlled that the people really never get a choice. Now this time, they seem to have a choice if it's not some kind of orchestrated charade, because what seems clear is that the ruling oligarchs in the United States are absolutely determined that Trump not be elected. They're all behind Hillary because she is their agent and they're safe if she's there. She'll do exactly what she's told. Trump has come out against their program. He doesn't see the point of conflict with Russia. He doesn't see the point of NATO. He doesn't see the point of offshoring the American jobs so the corporations can make more profits and Americans can have less living standards. He doesn't see the point of open immigration, which is changing the character of the country. Well, these are all taboo things. So they're all over it. We, we don't have a debate. We have a demonization. I mean, Trump now has replaced Putin as the item to be demonized. And they're trying to determine the election on the basis of propaganda and demonization not on the basis of what are the issues, where do these people stand, how would we be affected by these positions. You don't see any debate of that at all. You hear just constant ad hominem attacks, constant demonization. Putin, you know, uh, Trump is a Putin agent, a Russian agent, they say. Because why? He doesn't want to go to war with Russia, so that makes him a Russian agent. And the American people don't seem to be able to to see through this. Well, not enough of them do. But maybe I'm wrong about that, because the same process of demonizing Trump happened all through the Republican primaries, and yet he effortlessly swept aside all the Republican candidates. So that does indicate that people realize that you had the people who control their future trying to keep them from having a say. And this may be true in the general election. It may be that it's such a transparent ad hominem attack on Trump that it won't work any more than it worked during the Republican primaries. So what will Trump do if he gets there? Well, we don't really know. The only thing we know about him is that the oligarchy, is totally opposed to him. And we know the oligarchy is not on our side. So, and we also know for a fact that Hillary is their agent. I mean, just look at the personal fortune of the Clintons 
estimated $120 million. Look at their foundation. $1,600 million, much of which came from foreign interest in exchange for government favors. So we know what we are looking at there. With Trump, we have some hope. You couldn't write this as fiction and it be believable. <laughs> but you know, it's just obvious. It's easy to document all of it. Um, it's not my opinion. It's just, I'm just reporting things that are known. And so the, the media, of course, uh, serving the oligarchs don't want us to know these things, but it seems like the people are knowing them anyhow, because look at the huge support Bernie Sanders had within mm -hmm. the Democratic Party. You know, there was the same attack on him. And as far as I understand it, there's considerable evidence that he actually won the Democratic nomination. It was just stolen from him by vote fraud and by superdelegates that aren't elected. You know, the Democratic Party has these superdelegates that are not selected by the voters. They're selected by the Democratic National Committee, I, I think it is. And they, the whole purpose of them is to make sure that people can't choose a candidate that the establishment in the party doesn't want. That's the purpose of the superdelegates. So you can already see the Democratic Party long ago abandoned democracy. It's going to impose its candidate. If the people don't vote for its candidate, then they use the superdelegates. So you could see the support for Sanders, and you can see the support for Trump, and both of these were totally opposed by the ruling groups. So it is possible that the people are aware and are catching on, and they've, they've had enough. They've... Uh, you know, if, you're, if your real income has been falling for three decades, that is the real median family income in the United States, and your children can't get jobs, we have the Federal Reserve itself reporting that 52% of 25-year-old Americans live at home with their parents because they can't get jobs that pay enough to support an independent existence. And then we get reports that there are more people in the age group of 24 through 34 who live at home with their parents than live independently. So after you get several decades of this, and people see the opportunities are gone, they, they get no, the retirees get no interest on their savings. They've got nothing with which to supplement their Social Security or any pension they might have. So they have to draw down their savings so there's nothing to leave heirs. So the country is essentially being impoverished. And, you know, 60, 70% of the people are experiencing that. And so this has made them more thoughtful. Why is this? They tell us one thing, and the opposite's happened. So it, there can be some, some hope. I think we'll see what happens in the election, though it's hard for me to believe that the ruling oligarchs would let somebody be president that they don't control. I just don't see how... They're too powerful. They're too unaccountable. They are the government. So I just don't see how the American citizens can, can correct the situation. I do want to be respectful of your time. I, I have just a couple more brief questions. And one question is, who, who do you think these oligarchs are? Are there names behind... 
Oh, um, yeah, sure. Sure, they're named. Are they the, the usual suspects? Well, they're the interest groups, the, the powerful interest groups that benefit from the laws, from the government. So who is that? It's the military security complex. Look, uh, they account for almost the entirety of the discretionary spending in the budget. They always have to have an enemy. You, you can't have, uh, a, you know, between a half a trillion and a trillion dollars spent every year on military and military-related things, enriching, you know, companies and the shareholders without an enemy. So they always have to have an enemy. So when the Soviet Union collapsed, they were very, very concerned. This is why they were opposed to Reagan negotiating with Gorbachev the end of the Cold War. Uh, so the Cold War ended. They didn't like that. The Soviet Union collapsed. Where, where, where was the enemy? So they have to create the Muslim threat. And then they realize that's not a big enough enemy. And not only that, it was embarrassing because... Uh, we've we've been fighting a few thousand lightly armed Taliban in Afghanistan for 15 years, and we can't defeat them. And so they needed a bigger enemy that we wouldn't really get into a war with. And the perfect situation for them was the old Cold War, us versus the Russians. So they recreate the Russian threat. And so this justifies the massive defense spending. So they're, they're there. Uh, who else? We have Wall Street, the big banks. Look, the Federal Reserve has created trillions of dollars for no other purpose than to bail out the balance sheets of five mega banks. This is the reason um, we've had the real estate bubbles that burst. Uh, millions of people losing their homes. This is the reason retired people have no interest income on their savings, because the Federal Reserve and the Treasury don't care about them. They care about five big banks. This power. You have agribusiness, Monsanto. People have been trying to get GMO foods labeled, and they cannot do it because Monsanto is more powerful than the people. Mm. You have, look, look at the extractive industries, mining, timber, energy. These are environmentally destructive industries. Hardly anything can be done about them. The environmental movement has proved to be largely powerless in the face of these industries. You know, it's just, they can't, they can't even stop drilling in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge. The, just the conditions there had to stop it. Mm. But not the people acting through their representatives in Washington. So... You know, I could go on. I could go on. I mean, just look at the power of the Israel lobby. It's extraordinary. They completely control American foreign policy in the Middle East. I mean, look, we still have uh, the case of the USS Liberty, the American ship that in 1967 uh, was attacked by Israel. Uh, the crew largely wiped out. Um, and even to this day, the official government story in Washington is it was all a mistake. So they get away with whatever. Um, so these are the kinds of groups. It's money. Uh, it's control of media. It's control of explanation. And that's why... They can prevail. Now, the, the personalities, there are some that are kind of always there and others change. You know, if the, the chairman of the big oil companies is not permanent, they're there a few years and somebody else comes in. Uh, the same for any of these large corporations. 
So there's a turnover in the names. It's not like there's a permanent boogeyman there. But the interest of the corporation is permanent, and that is what is the boogeyman. Look, look at, uh, you know, when you buy your gasoline, it tells you that 10% of it is uh, methanol or something like that. It's made from corn. This is a subsidy given to agribusiness. It takes more energy to produce that stuff than you get, and it costs the taxpayer, and it has bad effects on the older cars that weren't engineered for it. It's endless, the subsidies to corporations. People say, oh, it's the poor people who are ruining us, driving up the deficit. No, no. Mm -mm. The subsidies given to the poor are minuscule compared to the subsidies given to the corporations. They're extraordinary subsidies. So as long as but but you see who controls that explanation you know you hear forever from conservatives about um, how the poor are ruining us how welfare is ruining us uh, you don't ever hear about the money <laughs> the government gives the corporation so as long as they can control the stories I mean how are people to know they just know what they hear And then there's the power of the Internet, and Obama recently transferred that um, the control of the Internet to, um, I, I think it was, what, the, the U.N.? To the what? Uh, to the United Nations or, or to um, another government power that's not the U.S., I don't know. I think that uh, they, they want to do something about the Internet. Um, but I, I don't know enough about the technology, but I would suspect if the United States tries to do to damage the openness of it too much, it can relocate. I mean, it's true it, it's uh, an American thing, but it doesn't have to be. So I don't know what they'll do. It, it's Plus, you know, Washington doesn't really pay any attention. The politicians in Washington, they're used to hearing the nightly news on TV or what the New York Times and Washington Post say. And all of that's very controlled, and so they feel comfortable. Uh, they, they don't know about the incisive comments on the Internet. And it, the internet you see it's international and so it's not like everybody in a city reading the same newspaper and therefore there being agitation in the population of the city against what the government's doing this the internet isn't the challenge to them that the independent press was mm. so in that sense, they haven't focused on it as rapidly as I would have thought. You see, and we come down to this, it's not clear to me that the average citizen is fully aware of the loss of civil liberties. Now, the black people are learning that from the behavior of the police, the sort of indiscriminate murders mm -hmm. of blacks by the police and very seldom any accountability. So they kind of realize that they are not exactly free. Um, and if you see the 4th of July crowd, they're always waving the flag and we're the freest country. And they think this because of the propaganda and right. because they confuse patriotism with support of the government. Mm -hmm. but the, On purpose. But the founding fathers defined patriotism as support for the Constitution. And this is reflected in the oath, oath of office, which says, I promise to defend the Constitution from enemies foreign and domestic. 
And you see also the police state does not attack the entire population. It just it only goes after dissidents who stand up for the Constitution, but it goes after the dissidents who can be portrayed as troublemakers, anti-American, or whatever. You know, in earlier times, pinko uh, liberal commies, um, apologists for criminals. This is another thing. Conservatives over the years have been inculcated with the idea that civil liberties are really just a protective blanket for criminals and for terrorists. You know, they, they still regard the old Warren Supreme Court, you know, Justices uh, Marshall and Brennan, as people who coddled criminals because the justices demanded they got a fair shake. You're not supposed to give criminals a fair shake. So when you have these kinds of attitudes all in the population, it's easy to pull the wool over their eyes. They're accustomed to going along with it for reasons of their own. Well, I think we've kind of exhausted this subject. What do you think? We have, and um, certainly want to direct our listeners to your uh, website, which is paulcraigroberts.org. Any other information you'd like to provide on how our listeners can uh, keep up with your writing and your thinking? Well, if, you know, I think you give it to them. If they go to the website, they'll find plenty of stuff that they won't find in the media, and they can think about it. I don't represent any ideology, any interest group. Um, I came out of the Reagan administration with all kinds of accolades from the President and the Secretary of the Treasury, and I became the first outside columnist in Business Week's history. And um, I held that, I think, for 12, 15, 16 years. And there was opposition within the prostitutes, within Business Week. Hmm. Uh, but the editor overruled them, and I had this column, and then uh, the editors changed. And the new editor came from within the magazine. And I said, well, I guess that's the end of my column. And I called him up and I said, okay, is this the end of it? He said, you got to be kidding. You're the most effective critic of the Reagan and Bush administration in the media. What do you mean the end of it? Of course not. <laughs> only the beginning. So, so only beginning. So um, I try to tell the truth as I can discover it. I haven't got an agenda except truth. Uh, last year I was given the International Award for Excellence in, German, in Journalism by the Press Club of Mexico. And in my speech to them at Mexico City, I told them, I said, we're not Americans, we're not Mexicans. If you're a real journalist, truth is our country. So that's my position. And so I tell the truth about the Reagan administration, whether it's favorable or unfavorable. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, if you say anything good about Reagan, you must be corrupt. But that's not true. They only want you to say bad things. <laughs> mm. Or well, if you Mr. say Robert, something I bad so about Hillary, it. it means, oh, it means you're a misogynist. You don't like women. Mm. <laughs> or if you say something bad about Israeli policies toward the Palestinians, if you criticize that, oh, it means you're anti-Semite. In other words, people are so programmed, they don't even know the concept of truth exists. So anything a person says is said to reflect some agenda or some motive, but it's not truth-related. It's not a truth motive. So this makes it very difficult 
to make people aware of what's really happening. Because they say, that, but of course they don't always apply this to the government's explanations. Mm-hmm. They'll believe 9-11 story, the official story, but skeptics who raise it, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. In other words, they don't even listen long enough to see is there a reason to be suspicious of the explanation. So, And there may not be, but they're not even interested to know. <laughs> to know. So this is, and it's hard to find people who will simply try to tell you what the evidence is and what the implications of the evidence are. Uh, that's what I try to do. So thanks for sharing your audience with me. I appreciate it very much. Oh, no, we appreciate your time here today and your keen insight into uh, how we got to where we are today and uh, food for thought for sure. So very much appreciate your time, Mr. Roberts, and uh, God bless you. Thank you. Goodbye. You take care. So this has been quite a wake-up call. It's easy to want to ignore the problem and pretend everything is just fine, but we can never take steps to remedy the situation until we first admit that we have a problem. We can no longer trust in politicians and the government to represent our wishes and provide solutions for us. We have to free our minds, educate those around us, and be the change we want to see in this country, as Mr. Roberts so eloquently said about journalists, right? Um, truth is our country. It should be about the truth. And the more educated we become independently from the media, the more we're going to be able to see the agenda behind the information that they're giving us as fact and find hopefully the truth. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Thanks so much for listening today. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. 